0: all right everybody bring it in we are back the read option has returned Uh, after a week's off i just want to kind of open up here um, before we get into today's pod which is gonna be a great pod it's gonna be an amazing pod greatest pod of all time not probably not likely i'm not sure who decides on that but uh, we do have a great show for you guys today there's a ton going on primarily going to be talking nba basketball because playoffs, West Conference, East Conference finals, uh, we're in the thick of it right now. There's also some potential trades that might be coming down the uh, the pipeline here sooner. Uh, or may not, you know. But look, we're always only a couple months away from a superstar being unhappy. So, you know, always kind of have to have your, your ears perked up on that. And so we'll kind of wrap up the show today talking about this Damian Lillard situation. But... Before we get into any of the sports, uh, I just wanted to take a moment um, just to s- explain like uh, I have some some stuff going on behind the scenes, some exciting stuff uh, with potential career things that I hope uh, will, will work out well that I'll be able to share with all of you guys. Um, and if not, then, you know, I'll probably never hear about it again. <laughs> But uh, I, had a, I just had a lot going on. Uh, I had some kind of mental health stuff going on. I, I've been very stressed, anxious, um, kind of battling through some stuff. And just had to kind of take a week. And uh, I know I said, you know, hey, we're going to be more consistent with this. And we still are. Still going to be Tuesday and Friday. But last week, uh, I just needed to take a little, I just needed to take a, like a week off uh, just for myself. Uh, I'm also in the middle of running post-game shows for the College World Series, which have me up until pretty much 2 a.m. every single day, so my sleep schedule's been off. I uh, definitely have not been able to, to rest and recover and, and relax the way that I normally would uh, in, in a way that I can also then kind of get the guys on or get guests on, um, so we had to kind of do some maneuvering, and, and unfortunately, you know, I'm kind of at the mercy of uh, what, what my bosses is and, and what we're running there over at SiriusXM, so I uh, just wanted to take a moment to, to kind of start off with that. Um, Thank you. If you're, if you're still eager, if you're eager, like if you saw this episode pop up and you're like, yes, uh, I love you. And thank you. And um, if you're listening to this at all, I love you as well. Thank you all for, for kind of being here and being a support system. The numbers, despite taking a week off, have still gone. Like you guys have still been kind of catching up, listening to the podcast and um, you know, the, the, the episode I did with Vito is like one of our highest listened to episodes of all time, which uh, frankly, is, is shocking, <laughs> if I'm just being totally honest. Uh, because Vito and I really, you know, we went into that kind of ripping. Uh, we got some great feedback on the, the Life Talk stuff, so we're definitely going to get back in, into some of that. Uh, but for today and for this pod on this Tuesday, uh, we're, we're talking basketball because we, we are in the heat of it right now. We Like I said earlier, we're in the thick of things. Uh, Milwaukee, Atlanta, and Phoenix, and the Clippers – going back and forth, definitely a bit of a bizarre uh, Eastern Western Conference finals. Um, You know, I, I, I've had this theory for a while when it comes to the NBA, you know, the NBA historically has always, there's always been a dynasty going on. Right. And you'll have a couple of years in between dynasties that kind of keep it floating. You know, you can go all the way back from, you know, the, the Bill Russell Celtics, right. Who dominated for a, for literally decades who, you know, Bill Russell has 11 championships, you know, like they were dominating teams. I granted the NBA was a lot smaller. I think there was only like 10 to 12 teams in the league at the time. And it was Bill Russell and Wilt Chamberlain and and literally everybody else. And from there, you know, after the Bill Russell era kind of ended, we hit the seventies and that was kind of the dark ages for the NBA where we didn't really have, uh the, the league was in trouble, right? Drugs were, were rampant. There was a major cocaine problem in the NBA. Uh all of these games were on tape delay. The only basketball people cared about was college because you that, that was at the height of the John Wooden UCLA teams. And you know, then we saw Bill Walton go and, and win a title with the Trailblazers in the seventies, and you have a, a lost bullets title in there against the Seattle Supersonics. Like there, there was a lot of weirdness going on in the seventies, but other than that stretch. Starting in 1980, it was Magic and Larry. So com- you know, combined, the Celtics and the Lakers were, became the dynasties, right? Because if it wasn't one team in the 1980s, then it was the other. The only team to win a title in the 1980s that wasn't named the Celtics or the Lakers was the 76ers in 1983. So from there, you have your 1980s, and then you had those back-to-back championships with the Detroit Pistons that led into the Jordan Bulls era, and we all know how they dominated for such a significant amount of time throughout the 90s. We all watched The Last Dance, and then that led into the late 90s and early 2000s Lakers, which then led into the Spurs, who also started around that time which then led to the Miami heat super team, which then led into the golden state warriors and their run, which now that the, and this is where my theory has kind of started, which is just that when the golden state warriors kind of disassembled, whether and not by their choice necessarily, Kevin Durant tears his Achilles leaves golden state for Brooklyn. He misses about almost two years, uh, in overall time. Um, didn't miss that much basketball necessarily, did not play in the nineteen 2019 twenty nineteen nineteen twenty season, 2019 and the 2020 season in the bubble. We didn't see KD that whole year, uh, which is totally understandable. Uh, But they also lost Clay, and so then the Warriors were just kind of like, poof, they were done. And then all of last year, you know, it was like AD and LeBron, and we were kind of trying to figure out, all right, well, who's going to be the best team out of this group? Um, But it was wide open. It was wide open, and I think the NBA is one of those leagues when it's better when there's a team that you can hate. It's better when there's a team that is the clear-cut number one team because everyone's trying to knock them down, or you're a fan of that team and you want to root for them. And the crazy thing about the Warriors was like I, I was rooting for the Warriors. I loved watching them at their peak. So you either love them or you hate them, and they're polarizing, and it brings people in. And now we're, we're basically two years in a row now. And look, the bubble kind of throws a wrinkle into this. But we're kind of two years in a row now where it was kind of like, who who is the team? You know, they're, they're, until the James Harden trade, there was no big three anywhere. It was a bunch of big twos. It was a bunch of Kawhi and PG, LeBron and AD, Steph and Clay, you know. And, and it was going to be Kyrie and, and KD. And then now we're in this kind of weird zone where I think the Nets might be that next – Kind of dynasty team. And by dynasty, we're talking about like five-year runs. Like, do you win three titles over a six-year stretch? Do you win two out of four? You know, like because you you need that that kind of team that's going to grab everybody to bring them in. And the fascinating thing about this year's playoffs in the conference finals is there is not a team like that. You know, Milwaukee has come up short in the Easter conference finals before. Giannis has won his MVPs, and they're kind of A little bit more battle-tested. They've gone through playoff runs, they've come up short, and you have to learn how to win in the playoffs, especially with coach, player, and and kind of having all the right pieces together. And now they're kind of in a position where they can do that with Chris Middleton, with the addition of Drew Holliday, and of course behind Giannis. But now we have this upstart Hawks team, which has just been going off the back of Trey Young. And then in the Western Conference, you have the Clippers who you would say is kind of a, a super team, but they haven't had Kawhi Leonard play in almost two weeks. So are they, they're not a super team. And, and frankly, the Clippers don't really move the, you know, they're the little brother of the Lakers. They're the little brother of LA. I mean, they've, they've never been to a finals before. This is the first time they've ever been in the Western conference finals. And they've won last night came, uh, you know, kind of fought their way back. And then you have this Phoenix suns team, which I think most people are rooting for the Suns. I think most people want to see Chris Paul get to the finals. He's never been in the finals. He's had one of the most incredible careers. He's, for my money, I think he's by far the best point guard of our generation. Uh, you could probably put Steve Nash in the mix between the two of them because they spent a lot of their years kind of as contemporaries. But Chris Paul got screwed over with when David Stern you know, said no to the trade that was going to send him to the Lakers and end up going to the clippers and lob city and we we've seen how well documented that some of their shortcomings have been so all in all i'm not really sure where you go with this and of course we're gonna have a lot of people out there who are pushing back on this notion of well this isn't a real year right And, and i'm one of those people pushing back and and i'm hearing this all the time and you hear it a lot from players and i think i said this in the last pod you know lebron james like lebron's out there, spouting his mouth about how I knew this was going to happen, and everyone's going to get hurt, and, and people are trying to delegitimize this year. And there's no question; it's inarguable that the the effect that the injuries have had on this playoff is severe. And I do think that there is a connection between, you know, look at the four teams that made the West that made the conference finals in the bubble, right? It was more, it was uh, Miami and Boston. Both of which lost in the first round. And then in the Western Conference, it was Denver and the Lakers. And Denver won in was it, six, seven games against Portland in round one and then got smoked. And then the Lakers, they lose to Phoenix in the first round. So I, I do think that there is truth in this idea that, you know, players are physically drained, that players are in more quote unquote, I don't want to say quote unquote pain because they're they're I think they're just tired. I think their bodies are tired. I think they're worn down. I think they've played a lot of games in a calendar year. And the short turnaround, no question, played an impact on it. But I'm I'm trying to look at this from a more optimistic standpoint, which is that we're seeing the emergence of of a new young star in Trey Young. We're seeing a two-time MVP in Giannis seemingly feel like he's about to get over the hump and, and potentially win a title, which could you know, and I'm not trying to be the over dramatic legacy guy here, but could be something that cements his legacy as, you know, a top 50 player and at least gives them a chance especially if this, you know, Brooklyn team's going to come back healthy next year. I don't know who the hell is beating them. So this is a window. I mean, this is an opportunity for a championship. Winning a cha- one of my favorite expressions in sports is winning a championship means never having to say sorry. You never have to apologize for winning a championship. And for all of these fan bases, they don't care. They don't care if Kawhi Leonard didn't play in this series. They don't care if LeBron James had his first like serious injury. If you're a Phoenix fan, they don't care. Their team wins a championship. That's all that matters. And like, that's why I said winning a championship means never having to say you're sorry. And I, I wish I knew off the top of my head who said that. I feel like it's like a Pat Riley quote. So, but but don't don't quote me on that. Don't don't quote me on that. Somebody said it. Uh, but but it's a it's a great. It's a great quote, and there's still so much that we can get out of this because we've seen incredible games. Game one, you know, DeAndre Ayton, the, the Valley Oop that they've called it. I love that. I mean, that was an incredible play to end the game, to, to win a Western Conference Finals game at the buzzer on an inbounded Alley Oop to a former number one overall pick who has been completely lost in translation because of how great Luka Doncic has been and because of the emergence of Trey Young. DeAndre Ayton's just forgotten about, right? And there's been so many moments so far. And, and I think the the first couple rounds, you know, they had there were individual moments that were really great. We saw some greatness out of Luka. You know, we saw some greatness out of the Brooklyn Nets before they got, you know, too injured and, and too beat up to be able to kind of make it there. We saw what Kevin Durant did in that game. Foot was an inch on the line, if that, which could. I mean, that's literally the difference. An inch could have been the difference between you know, the the Nets winning on a buzzer beater three in game seven uh, to, you know, instead not being in the playoffs anymore. And again, if you're a Bucks fan, root your heart out, man. I am serious. But this whole year and this kind of era that we're in is we're in that kind of no man's land area where we, we've had stretches like this before, you know, where it's like who really is the best team. You know, there's no real top dog in the NBA right now. And I think we all know who it would be, theoretically, if everyone's healthy. But right now, we don't have that. So uh, I'm enjoying it. And I hope everyone else is enjoying it, too. And I know that's kind of a long-winded way to kind of recap all this. But, you know, that the the playoffs, I just heard a lot of negativity about it. You know, And, and I get it. Like, when you don't have Steph, you don't have LeBron, you don't have some of the biggest names, it turns some people off, you know, and I'm not one of those people. I'm the kind of person who, who looks at what's going on in, in the sports world and says, how is this You un- Like, how are we going to remember this? Is this going to be a unique thing? You know, like I would rather have this where we will have two healthy teams getting to the end and then battling it out. than what we saw in the Golden State Warriors and Toronto Raptors series a couple years ago when it was KD was hurt. He shouldn't have been brought back when he was, and he comes back and he ruptures his Achilles, you know, and then Clay tears his ACL. And at that point, like, again, if you're Toronto, you're not apologizing for winning the title, but if you're everyone else who's a fan, you're kind of like, man, this kind of sucks, you know? Like I would rather see – that team get, you know, knocked out because of injury in the second round, like what happened with Brooklyn. I mean, I don't see anybody get knocked out, you know, because of injury, but if you're going to say that can happen in the second round, or that's going to happen in the NBA finals, I'd rather see it in the second round. Cause at least now if it's Phoenix and Milwaukee or Clippers and Milwaukee, you know, we're, we're at least going to see healthy versions of those teams. And if the Clippers somehow come back and, and force their way to the finals, you know, maybe Kawhi comes back at that point. But right now it seems like he's out indefinitely, and that's not good. I mean, he, he missed the game last night, and and that's probably a really good time to actually kind of get into this, the actual games, because, you know, Phoenix is in a pretty worrisome spot only because of Chris Paul's history, right? The Clippers won last night 116-102. to 102. Uh, Paul George had an just absolutely ridiculous game um, 41 points 13 rebounds 6 assists 15 of 20 from the floor at 75% and was 85% on his true shooting percentage and that's only happened like 3 other times in playoff history that a player has scored 40 plus points on 85% true shooting percentage and I mean, Paul George was all over the place. He also played he had three steals, uh, turned the ball over a little bit, but for the most part, just was fantastic. I mean, he's he's the driving force of this team, and for all of the Paul George criticism that he gets time after time after time, which more often than not is completely warranted and completely deserved, he's shown out a few times in this playoffs, and he's also collapsed, and it's the, the 30-13, you know, pg thirty thirteen it's never it's always in play it's never consistent he can never find the way to just give me 30 night you know because you you just never know what you're going to get with him and i think phoenix wins in game five or game six here coming up it's right now it's a 3-2 series and i think chris paul has an opportunity to exercise his demons he's going to get a chance in a game six to go to the la clippers to go to that organization in the staples center and send his team and himself to the NBA Finals for the first time. But the problem is, is some of the ghosts that he has from being, the, from being an L.A. Clipper involve being up 3-1 and blowing the series, famously. It's happened to him twice already in his career. So if you are Chris Paul, and to his immense credit, he's made jokes about it in the postgame right after when they won game four, He's on the court with Rachel Nichols and he says, yeah, you know, I've, I've had some I've had some trouble with three one before in my career. But, you know, I'm, I'm not worried about that because we're just coming out of one game at a time. And I think he's he really is looking at it from the most genuine and positive uh, and just the best kind of mental space that I think you can, you know, like Chris Paul, if, if you're going at him at this series, you know, the history, you know, the jokes are going to get made online. You know, every game you lose after going up three, one, it's just going to get worse and worse. And the Clippers still don't have Kawhi. So there's going to start to be like, well, they don't have Kawhi yet. They're still kind of blowing this, this lead. I mean, come on here. I think Chris Paul is going to get it done tomorrow night in LA. I think I just, my gut feeling, I think, I thought that the Clippers were going to win last night because the Clippers are an extremely volatile team, right? They will go, they will shoot lights out from three, you know, as a team, they shot 40% from three on the season. So they have a lot of guys who can play, but look at the guys that they're relying on right now. I mean, Terrence Mann and Reggie Jackson are the guys that are carrying this LA Clippers team behind Paul George. Now, obviously Paul George is the lead horse right now, but other than that, you're getting a mixed bag of Reggie Jackson, Pat Beverly's obnoxious defense, uh, Marcus Morris, uh, Ch- Terrence Mann, right? That, that's your starting lineup for the Clippers, and and of course Paul George. But I mean, they're relying on Boogie Cousins. I mean, Boogie Cousins has 15 points in 11 minutes. He put up 12 shots in 11 minutes. That's insane. Uh, and they they didn't have Zubach last night, who was has consistently been one of their guys. Uh, Luke Kennard is streaky as hell. I mean, 19 minutes. He only took three shots, zero points for Luke Kennard. They're paying that dude like $50 million. Uh, actually, might even be more than that, if we're, if we're being honest. Uh, and, and Phoenix didn't play great last night. You know, they, were, they turned the ball over a lot. Uh, Chris Paul had a really weird kind of got his legs tripped out from underneath him by Beverly on a hard three-point um, and then Beverly was kind of making fun of him. It was a weird game. It, it was a bizarre game. Uh, but I, I, I'm worried for Chris Paul only because if he blows another three-one series, there's there's no coming back from that at this point in your career. At this point, when everyone's on this this Phoenix Suns bandwagon, unless you are a Clippers fan or a Bucks fan or a Hawks fan, I think you're rooting for the Phoenix Suns it's unless you like really hate Chris Paul, which I guess some guys out there really do. I just, I find them incredibly likable. I love Mikael Bridges. I, I love what that's happened with DeAndre Ayton. I love Devin Booker on paper, you know, this Suns team versus that Clippers team. It's crazy to me looking at these starting lineups and thinking this is the Western conference finals. Like, it's almost like a mind fuck where I'm like, there's no way there's no way. This is like, this is the starting. These are the starting lineups for the NBA Western conference finals. But, here we are. And, again, all credit in the world to Paul George. But he's going to have an opportunity to defend it, force a game seven. And he just is coming off his best career playoff game. Like, one of the best playoff games we've seen from a wing in a really long time. I think we're due for the 13, right? He drops 41. I think we're due for, like, a 20-point Chris Paul George uh it's so tough with Chris Paul and then Paul George, Uh, but we're due for that. We're due for Paul George to have a down game. And I think that's when we'll see it'll get done. I think Phoenix comes back. They think they win game six tomorrow night in LA and they send them home. They, they send themselves to the NBA finals and they send Paul George and the Clippers back. And, you know, there's going to be a lot of questions with this Clippers team win or lose. I mean, what, what do you do with Kawhi? Right. You know, there's, Reports already that Kawhi's unhappy again, but as anyone who covers the NBA would know, and I'm not including myself in that, I just listen to the people who do it for a living, they say all the time, like, if, if anyone tells you that they know what's going on in Kawhi Leonard's head, they're lying. Nobody knows what's going on in that dude's head. Nobody. He is as, as close guarded as any athlete I can ever remember. And even this injury, you know, like he's sitting up in a box instead of on the sidelines, because my guess is that he doesn't want anybody to see what it looks like when he's standing up, when he's walking in and out, if he's limping, if he's got a brace on, if he's got a boot on, if he's, you know what I mean? Like he's intentionally mysterious because he does not want anybody to know what's going on behind the scenes. And I can respect that on one hand, um, but on another hand, it makes him, To some people, really unlikable. It makes him frustrating for other people who are covering the league. Uh, But it also just cloaks him in this aura of mystery where it's like, who is this guy? You know, like, what is his deal? Why is he always like this? And the fact that nobody has any real read as to how long he's out, what the injury is. They said it was an ACL injury, but they said that he was out indefinitely or that he could end up coming back. Like, everything about Kawhi Leonard when it comes in the context of this injury and this playoffs has been just shrewd in mystery because nobody has any idea. And I think the reports that have come out again, take them all with a grain of salt is that he's not happy with the medical team with the Clippers. And if you're Steve Ballmer, one of the richest men in the world, you say, all right, well, I'll go get the best fucking doctors in the world for you. Cause I'm investing so much money and we gave up so much capital to bring in Paul George for you. So I think no matter what, I do think Kawhi Leonard ends up staying with the Clippers. I know Stephen A. was out on the post game last night talking about, oh man, like Kawhi Leonard might end up, you know, I'm not sold yet. The Kawhi Leonard is going to be back on the Clippers next season. And I'm like, I, I guess. I mean, this is coming from, you know, hot take Charlie and, and Stephen A. I mean, I. I don't know what's going to happen with the Kawhi Leonard situation. I wish Kawhi Leonard was playing in the series. Because honestly, and Phoenix fans, cover your ears. If Kawhi Leonard's in the series, it's a wrap. I, I really think that. I think it's at, at best, I think it's 3-2 Clippers going into this. And the fact that each of these wins, all of the wins that the Suns have had, haven't been the most convincing wins in the world. I mean, this Clippers team, and this is where I want to give a shout out to Ty Lu. Ty Lu is 10 and two in elimination games in his career as a head coach, 10 and two. That is a, that's absurd. I mean, again, this is the guy who came back from three, one against the Warriors in the NBA finals as the head coach, but no one gave Tyloo the credit, right? Because it was LeBron's team. LeBron's the coach, LeBron's GM. That's what everybody says. And I've been guilty of saying that too, because LeBron is as influential as anybody in that organization. And, and by that organization, I mean whatever organization that LeBron James is on. But people said the same thing about Spolstra when he was in Miami. Uh, no, it's not it's not, a, it's not Spolstra. He's just the young kid. This is LeBron and D-Wade doing it all. It's like, no, Spolstra, as we've learned in the, you know, in the, the 10 years since the decision, is a damn good coach. And I'm really glad to see that Ty Lu is getting his due right now because what he's done with this Clippers team, Without Kawhi Leonard, with Reggie Jackson, who was borderline buyout, with a guy like Terrence Mann, you know, playing Zubach big minutes, bringing in Boogie Cousins midseason to try to do whatever he can, and getting every last drop out of Paul George that he possibly can, reclamating Nick Batum. You know, Nick Batum was an outcast. People, like, I don't even think he was literally in the United States while he was technically on the roster for the Charlotte Hornets. Uh, You know, the front office has done some weird things, you know, giving Luke Kennard all that money. But they've gotten the most out of these guys. And the X's and O's standpoint, and I'm no X's and O's wizard when it comes to the NBA, but I can understand basics of it, and especially what they do on defense with switching. And they all feed off of Patrick Beverly, who is – become more unlikable and more and more unlikable as his career has gone on he went from being the plucky underdog you know grinder to now just kind of being an asshole i love what tyloo has done here and tyloo just like Eric Spolstra, did not get his credit for what they did in cleveland and now they're 10 and 2 in elimination games they already came back 3-1 once in this playoffs and but the way they played the last couple games, I just I wouldn't be shocked if the Clippers forced a game seven. I don't think that will happen. Conventional wisdom will tell you that Paul George is going to be due for a kind of a letdown game. But look, this is the kind of moments where, again, and I hate to be hokey with it, but this is the moments where legacies are built. These are the moments where legacies are created, where people – define who they're going to be. And maybe this is that for Paul George. Now, again, if the Clippers were fully healthy, I think a Clippers and Bucks finals would be electric. I still think a Phoenix in Milwaukee finals would be a lot of fun, but that's a really, really bad matchup for Phoenix. And if you're Phoenix, I don't, I guess you're pulling, obviously you got to win first, but then you're probably pulling for Atlanta. And Chris Paul, they're not thinking about any of that. They're thinking about just winning game six in LA and going to the NBA finals. That's all that's on their mind right now. And it'll be really interesting to see how they end up doing here. I'm excited for that game. It should be, I'm not going to sit here and say it's going to be an all time game. Um, But in terms of eyeballs and you're up three, one, and then you lose game five and now the thoughts are kind of creeping in. I mean, Chris Paul has a full-on exorcism opportunity here with going to LA, going to the Staple Centers, the house. I mean, he is the most recognizable and the greatest clipper of all time. And I'm not going to say the organization did bad by him, but that organization was dysfunctional as hell. And of course, it starts with the Donald Sterling at the top. And then shortly after that, you know, Chris Paul ends up leaving. Uh, not shortly after that, it was a few years, uh, but they gave everything they had there and they blew a 3 1 lead. And now he's an opportunity to, to not do the same thing now with this Phoenix Suns team. And personally, I'm pulling for the Phoenix Suns. I mean, I don't have a dog left in the race, but I'm pulling for the Suns. So we'll see how that ends up turning out. I'm going to jump in here, Milwaukee and Atlanta. Uh, and then we'll take a quick break and we'll come back and we'll wrap up kind of doing just around the NBA stuff. I am going to talk about the Sixers. Fair warning, but it's going to be talking about the Sixers. Rational edition, because last week or two weeks ago, whenever I did that rant, uh, I was heated and I didn't want to do a pod after the Sixers lost because I was very angry for a few days and the emotions have subsided. So I'm going to look at it from a much more rational perspective because they're a fascinating team to watch and they still have one of the most dynamic players in the NBA in Joel Embiid. They still have a great coach and they have, in my opinion, one of the best, if not the best executive in uh all of the nba running their team so they're going to be able to figure something out and there could be an interesting trade piece out there as well but eastern conference milwaukee atlanta um milwaukee wins game uh milwaukee won uh game three so now the bucks are up two to one and i think so far milwaukee they played at night in game four it's gonna be the second game in atlanta um The big storyline that came out of this game was the Trey Young injury. And it's yet another example of another player getting hurt in this postseason. But that was a fluky injury. Stepping on the referee's foot and kind of rolling it back. Now, they said it wasn't a sprain, which is, I guess, good news because it was actually a bone bruise. I'm not sure which is worse. They might be equal. I mean, sprains take a long time to come back from, but it's a bruise. You know, it's a bone bruise. Like, the only thing that's going to help that is time. Just like, you know, there's, and there's no, you know, electric shock therapy that you can kind of do with your, like you can do with a sprain to kind of help heal the muscles. You can't do that with a bone bruise. You just got to ice the hell out of it and, and play tough. And Trey Young, if nothing else has proven how freaking tough that dude is, you know, in an era where guys are coming from the West coast and these fancy high schools and everything. I mean, Trey Young was born in Norman, Oklahoma. He's a Norman, Oklahoma kid. He is tough as nails. I mean, he was bodying Giannis in the post. And game one, the Hawks came out and won. I mean, the Hawks looked really good in that game. And then they get absolutely shut. They got absolutely crushed, like knocked out of the building in game two by the Milwaukee Bucks. And I'm watching that and I'm thinking, man, that's a way to respond if you're Milwaukee. I mean, they came out pissed and that's some of the the intangibles that i really like about this milwaukee team is they're just aggressive they're not i mean Giannis, no matter what i mean for all of Giannis's Giannis's faults whether it's the free throw shooting uh you know the one thing you can't take away from him is the dude is aggressive on both sides of the floor he is never afraid to body somebody up and we saw it in game three now milwaukee or atlanta jumps out to like a 20 to 5 lead in the first quarter. And I'm thinking, man, Atlanta's at home. They're getting the hot start, but that is, that happens all the time in the NBA. The home team comes out blazing and basketball is a game of runs. So you may come out 20 to five only for them to end up having a, a 15 to one run. And all of a sudden it's a two point game. You know, that kind of stuff happens consistently in the NBA Uh, and Atlanta, they fed off the crowd early and, I actually think they probably would have gone on to win because not only did you have the Trey injury, which derailed where they were heading, and and Trey, again, being a tough guy, kind of played through it. They also had some trouble with John Collins, who had four fouls in the third quarter, and then we just didn't see him again. And I think that was a bit of a coaching slip-up on uh, Nate McMillan's part because if you are – with, if you're playing with four fouls, yes, you have to be more conservative with how you play defense. You, you can't be overly aggressive. You can't swipe at balls as much. You have to be careful about how you're contesting shots. And John Collins is not an, an objectively very aggressive player, but they need him in this series. And John Collins only ended up playing 23 minutes in this game. And he was playing well, too. I mean, 13 points, eight rebounds in 23 minutes. They needed John Collins out there, and the foul trouble hurt them. So I wouldn't be surprised here if Atlanta comes out and evens the series, but it's all going to hinge on what Trey Young is doing. And Bogdanovich is not healthy, and that is abundantly clear. And Kevin Herter, for as great as he was in that Sixer series, he's been a little inconsistent so far here in this series against Milwaukee. And those two guys have to step up, especially if Trey Young's not going to be 100%. But Bogdanovich is injured. Like, There's only so much that he can do when he's basically out there playing on one leg. And then Kevin Herter, I like Kevin Herter a lot, but are we sure that Kevin Herter is you know, going to be the ultimate difference maker? Is he a guy who you want the ball in in the last few seconds? I mean, yeah, he had the 27 points in game seven against the Sixers, but the Sixers are more to blame for that loss than I would give to Kevin Herter. I mean, you have to give credit. I mean, Kevin Herter played great in that game. But Kevin Herter is also Kevin Herter. You know, we're not, we're not talking about an all-star here. We're not talking about a max contract guy in Kevin Herter. We're talking about a really solid starter in the NBA who has paid his dues, who has grinded, and has become a very good, legitimate NBA player. But he needs to be great. I mean, he needs to play above his head, especially here in game four, because if they go down 3-1, it's a wrap. If it's 3-1, they're going back to Milwaukee. It is an absolute wrap. So Atlanta needs this game tonight they they have to win this game tonight and it's going to be fascinating to watch how it ultimately plays out but uh you know Trey Young's injury is a huge part of it and with all of this being said i'm not trying to say like Milwaukee's only winning here because of injury breaks like yes they got incredibly lucky with the Kyrie injury like Kyrie going down was the best thing that could have happened to the Milwaukee Bucks and James Harden basically playing on one hamstring is the best thing that could have happened to the Milwaukee bucks. But again, you can only play the teams that are lined up in front of you. And the fact that they're kind of getting another break here when it seemed like Trey young was going to actually, you know, cause Atlanta could have won this game up until the, you know, midway through the fourth quarter, this game felt like it was going to be Atlanta's to, to, to lose. And ultimately Chris, uh, Chris Middleton drops 20 in the fourth quarter. And that's all she wrote. And, and Chris Middleton is kind of where we need to start when we're talking about the Milwaukee bucks because he had 38 career high. Chris Middleton can pour it in. He is an absolute baller. And he's uh, Rachel Nichols did a great opening on the jump last uh, yesterday, where she was talking about, you know, the Teddy Roosevelt saying, you know, speak softly and carry a big stick. And that is the mantra of Chris Middleton. You know, he's not a media guy. He's not a podcast guy. He's not a movie guy. He's not a fashion guy. He is a basketball guy. And he's a perfect compliment to have with Giannis and Chris Milton's still on the younger side. I think he's only 26, 27. He's been in the league a while, but they're paying him max money. And when you're paying a guy max money, you have to see games like this where, you know, Giannis, again, Giannis had a good, good game. I mean, Giannis still scored 33, but they're really only leaning on seven, eight guys, maybe. I mean, Brent Forbes played seven minutes and then Jeff Teagan and uh, the younger Antetokounmpo both played less than a minute. And then other than that, I mean, you're getting 25 plus, or I should say 25 for Brooke Lopez. And then 34 plus from the rest of the starting lineup, which was PJ Tucker, 34 minutes, Giannis 41, Chris Milton, 42, Drew Holiday, 42. And then Pat Connaughton off the bench is getting 32 minutes. And then you have Brooke Lopez playing 25. And then other than that, I mean, Bobby Portis had like the best playoff game of his career, 17 minutes, 15 points, seven to 12 from the floor that is like the Bobby Portis game. He made a couple of really great plays in that game as well, but they're really, if you combine the Lopez and Bobby Portis minutes, they're really only using like seven guys. And if you're bud and you're, if you're coach bud and you're saying, all right, look, these are the guys I'm rolling with. I don't trust anybody else. And they're going to go out there and, and play games like this, which are tightly contested games that they end up winning in the end. That is great. I mean, that's great news. For Bucks fans, but they just don't have the depth, and ultimately in the playoffs, you don't need a ton of bench depth. It's nice to have, especially with how many injuries are going on. But the important part here with the Bucks is they're also the only team that hasn't had any injuries. You know, we're seeing it now with the Hawks, were one of those teams that really didn't have any injuries. I mean, the Bogdanovich, you know, playing banged up, hurt them, but now it's Trey Young is banged up, right? Chris Paul missing almost two weeks because of COVID testing uh, Kawhi Leonard's out and pretty much every other top team, whether it's Embiid playing on a torn meniscus, uh, LeBron and AD both dealing with their injuries, right? The, these, these teams, these big powerhouse teams that we all expect obviously we know what happened with the Brooklyn nets. We've been documenting on this pod today, but the Milwaukee bucks, they're as healthy as they can be. And they're pretty much playing with, they're playing on the razor's edge right now. Because if one of those guys gets hurt, one ankle rolls, then I don't I, then I really don't know what's gonna happen. But the Bucks have been the healthiest of all of these teams that are left. And there's a correlation, you know. The teams that have stayed healthiest, the three teams out of three teams that have stayed the most healthy are Phoenix, Milwaukee, and Atlanta. And now Atlanta seemed to get a little banged up. And then Chris Paul misses game one and misses some time with his COVID situation and the Kawhi injury happened towards the end of that Utah jazz series. But if you're, you know, Milwaukee, you're in a good spot. You're in a really, really good spot. And the way that, you know, Chris Middleton has been playing the defense that drew holiday provides and the pressure that gets alleviated by just having another guy who can handle the ball. I mean, drew holiday is technically a point guard, but you wouldn't look at him and think of him as a traditional, like, floor general type of player. He's a bit of a scoring guy. It's kind of like a hybrid between a. I mean, he had 12 assists in this game and only put in six points. And so he knows his role. He knows like, Hey, all right, Chris Middleton's going off. I'm going to feed him the ball. I'm going to play great defense. And then there's going to be games where Chris Middleton's not there. And Drew holiday has to score 25. And he's been able to do that. He's been able to play that line really, really well. The problem is, is what happens in the game where Giannis is cold and Chris Middleton's cold, you know, and if you only end up losing one game, from that and it's a long series and all right, then, you know, you might be able to overcome that because they have enough guys, but it's all going to teeter on. Can those three guys all stay healthy? Can the seven guys that they are really relying on maybe eight all stay healthy for the rest of this postseason run. And if they do, then the bucks are the favorite right now to win the title. I don't, I don't think it's much of a debate at this point. They're the betting favorites. And if the Clippers had Kawhi Leonard, I would say the, that the Clippers would be the favorites um, or at least would be closer, but without Kawhi Leonard uh, and then the other part of this too is if Phoenix does get there the Milwaukee Bucks are a brutal matchup for the Phoenix Suns because the only we've said this before I said it with Vito the only center on the roster for the Milwaukee uh, for the Phoenix Suns is DeAndre Ayton so if they are if they're trotting out a lineup where it's going to be Brooke Lopez and Giannis I mean who's covering who you start, are you putting Mikael Bridges on Giannis? I mean, I, Bridges is an incredible defender and he did an amazing job against LeBron, but Giannis is a whole other physical task going up against that guy. And Mikael Bridges is a skinny dude. So I, I'm, not, I'm not sure. And I know I've, I say that a lot when I'm talking about the NBA, like, I don't know, you know, and, and I, I'm trying to give firm opinions here. But the problem with these playoffs is it's just been so unpredictable. Everything about this playoffs have been unpredictable. And so I can sit here right now and say Milwaukee's the favorite, and then Atlanta could come out and rattle off three straight wins. You know, I can sit here and say, I think Chris Paul's going to get it done in LA, and then Paul George drops another 35 points. You know, all of these things can happen, and it's part of what makes NBA basketball in the playoffs so exhilarating, even in a year when we don't have our traditional guys so i'm hoping trey young is able to go tonight he's listed as questionable for game four it's going to be in atlanta the hawks need to win this this is a must win for atlanta if the bucks win it's going to be the bucks going to the nba finals if atlanta wins and are able to stretch out the series and give trey young a little bit of extra time get that extra game buffer because if you get to a two two you're going at least six so if Atlanta wins now, you're at least getting another four or five days for Trey Young to hopefully get back. And if it's two-two at that point, I think it could be either team that wins. But when Chris Middleton's going 15 to 26, 50% from three, six of 12 from three, and also yeah, you know, almost drops a triple double—38 points, 11 rebounds, seven assists—and drops 20 in the fourth quarter. Milwaukee's really tough because Giannis is gonna get his 30. And we're seeing the struggles with you know Clint Capella and John Collins both going up against Giannis, and part of why John Collins got in foul trouble in this Game Three was because he's going up against Giannis, and that is just such a difficult ask for anybody who is you know below six ten. If you're not a elite big physical defender, and Deandre Ayton could do a good job against them, but then you're going to have to put what start Dario Saric at the four, and then you're going to put Dario on uh, you know, Brooke Lopez, or you're gonna have to start playing Frank Kaminsky more. And I think we all can agree that the Phoenix really doesn't want to have to do that in their starting lineup. So the size that Milwaukee brings while also still having the playmaking and and the ball handling of drew holiday, plus a legit wing scorer and Chris Middleton uh, right now they're, they're kind of firing on all cylinders. And then you add this, you know, PJ Tucker grinder. I mean, I think PJ Tucker is one of the most beloved players in the NBA right now. Um, and I, I, would, I would like to see the Bucs win. I'm being honest. Like, I like Giannis. I, and Giannis has gotten a lot of heat. And the other cool thing about this is Giannis signed his extension going into this season. And if Milwaukee wins the title, the question of, is Giannis going to leave? Is he going to try to force his way out? Because just because you sign your Supermax does not mean that you're there forever. We saw Anthony Davis sign his extension and then ask out two years later. Right. Guys will find their way out and they would rather secure the money, given that it is a fully guaranteed contract in the NBA. Guys would rather sign, confirm, secure that bag and then force their way out, because that is how the the negative side of player empowerment, which is that you can sign a long term contract. It doesn't mean that you're going to be stuck there forever because players can figure out ways to get themselves out. So we'll end up we'll we'll see how it all works out. We'll see how it all goes. But for right now, I really enjoy these playoffs. And I know it hasn't been the star-studded affair. But as we talked about several times here, the post-LeBron era, and Vito hit this on the head, we're seeing guys that we never really thought we were going to get a chance to see. We're seeing guys, not that we didn't get a chance, but we're starting to see the next generation. You know, the post-LeBron era is coming. You know, when, when Tiger was at his end in golf, Everybody talked about, well, what are we going to do once Tiger leaves? Is is golf going to die? Who are we going to watch? And right now, golf is as popular as it's arguably ever been. There's legitimate beefs in golf. The Brooks and Bryson. And we just saw what John Rahm did at the U.S. Open. I mean, holy shit. Like Those two putts on 17 and 18, like golf's in a phenomenal space because the, the talent underneath, the talent that was inspired by Tiger Woods has taken over, and we're seeing that now with LeBron. And we look around the NBA and all of the the, the vast young talent that exists there, and you you have to be excited about it. You have to be. So um, that's kind of our update here on the, the conference finals. Uh, we should know the Western Con- – within the next week, I mean, I think by, by week's end we'll have an idea – Uh, Again, Milwaukee wins tonight. I think that series is over. And Phoenix has an opportunity tomorrow night to put themselves into the Western Conference finals, get some rest, get healthy, and get ready for what could be uh, Phoenix's first ever NBA title. They've only been to two NBA finals. I think one was in 97, 96, uh, when Charles Barkley and, and Dan Marley and Danny Ainge and those guys went up against Jordan. Uh, And the other one, I think was like in the 1970s. So for the Suns, this would be amazing for Milwaukee. I think it's been 50 years since they've won a title. Atlanta's never won a title. The Clippers have never won a title. So to see one of these four teams, knowing that we're going to get like a potential first time or at least 50 year long wait in between titles, uh, it's it's phenomenal. So uh, enjoy the rest of those. And uh, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about the Sixers. Rationally, and uh, we're going to talk about some potential trades involving one of the best pure closers the NBA has ever seen. And we'll get to that here next in just a minute. It's time to talk. It's time to talk about the Sixers. Uh, I know this is a little late, and everybody has had their time to kind of fire off their Ben Simmons takes. Everyone's had time to, to rip on the Sixers, rip on Doc Rivers, rip on Tobias Harris, even rip on Joel Embiid. And I was a part of them in private conversations over text messages, over uh, phone calls, talking with friends and family. And I, I've come to peace with this season. As frustrating as it was, uh, and, and it's, it's objectively so hard to kind of stomach Because we're talking about a team like this was the year for the Sixers. This was the year after all of the years of the process, after everything that fans have had to go through and went through with such positive support. You know, the process is a tough thing to sell to a fan base. It's a really hard thing to sell to a fan base, especially, especially a city like Philadelphia. A city that demands excellence from their team. An old school city. A city that eats, sleeps, breathes sports. And on top of it too, they, they appreciate grinders. They appreciate guys who are going to give every ounce of their being to being a winning team. And you you, you basically get into a room with all of Philadelphia, this is how it feels to me. Get in a room with all Philadelphia and you and you give your pitch. And you say, look, we're going to be terrible. We're going to be so bad. Like historically bad. And people like to go out there and cherry pick stats. Like, oh, the Lakers lost more games than six. No, whatever. Lakers were terrible then too in their post-Kobe era because they put all of their assets in supporting Kobe. Kobe leaves and or retires and then boom. You know, it's it's... What are you going to do? You know, you, you spent how much money on, you know, I can't even remember the guy's fucking name. Um, they, they go out and just waste money left and right. Uh, Timothy Mozgov. That's the name I was trying to think of. So you go into this room of, of Philadelphia, you got all of the Sixers fans in the world and you, you're pitching to them. Hey, look guys, we're going to suck. And it's going it, to, this is going to be a long process. It's called the process. And it's going to take a long time and we're going to lose. I'm going to be terrible but we're going to get a lot of assets and we're going to get number one overall picks and we're going to get top five picks and to get top three picks. And we're going to put together a team of young players that are going to be competitive for a long time, making a cell like that, which is so analytically driven, which was so kind of progressive, especially at its time that tanking could work. And to do that in a city like Philadelphia, we bought in, And I know you're not supposed to say we, but I'm just saying, Sixers fans bought in. We believed in it. And it was a 10-year process going into this playoffs. And yes, I've said this for a long time. In 2018, when they were the three seed and they got bounced by the Celtics in the second round, I wasn't surprised by that. I was pissed, especially when it first happened. They went on a crazy streak at the end. They were more likely a five seed in where they were as a team at that time than they were a three seed, but they went on an incredible run at the end of the season. They had a cupcake schedule. They put themselves in the three seed that, you know, again, you can only play the guys in front of you. They had like a 19 game winning streak and they get bounced by the Celtics. But all right, well, they come back the next year, 2019. They go out and they get Tobias Harris. They go out and get Jimmy Butler. And they have Simmons, Embiid, Butler, and Tobias Harris, and J.J. Redick. And that's a team that could have done a lot of damage. But you still had that Golden State Warriors team on the other side. So even if you did get to the finals, it didn't feel like it was going to end up going their way. And they lose on the Kawhi Leonard shot, the quadruple bounce around the fucking rim. (laughs) And they get bounced in the second round. And then they come back the following year and it's the bubble year and Simmons gets hurt in the bubble and Embiid seems completely disinterested. Didn't very obviously did not want to be in the bubble to begin with. And they get absolutely smoked by the Celtics in the first round. And those are the first four legitimate playoff chances with the Sixers in the process. And it all comes out down to this year and you're thinking, all right, well, they trade Jimmy Butler and they do the whole Al Horford thing. And then Daryl Morey comes in and makes magic happen. You get Danny Green and you get Seth Curry. And Bede is playing the best basketball of his career. And Simmons is playing the best defense of anybody in the league. And they're long and they're fast and they're big. And you have this amazing defensive player, Matisse Thybul, and Seth Curry's dropping 30 in playoff games. And you're thinking like, man, the Sixers actually could be the real deal. And of course – Embiid has that partial tear in his meniscus. And from then on, it never really felt like the Sixers team was that Sixers team. The, the Danny Green calf strain. I think that really hurt the Sixers team. I, I think as weird as that is to say, and for as much as people like to shit on Danny Green, I think Danny Green was a really important piece of this team. And the argument that we've heard for so long from a lot of smart NBA players and f- former players and analysts is that Embiid and Simmons can't coexist even when Embiid is shooting almost 40 percent from three Embiid and Simmons can't coexist because of Simmons lack of aggressiveness on offense and I look at how Embiid I look at how Brooke Lopez and Giannis coexist right both of them are basically seven footers and yet they're able to kind of make it work because Giannis is okay from three. I think he should, I mean, he's not okay. He's pretty bad. He's like 33% from three. And Brook Lopez, we've seen shoot like 44% from three over the course of a season, but is at least a threat. Is around the same quality three-point shooter as Embiid is. And yet they find a way to coexist, despite the fact that in closing minutes, Giannis is on the court and Brook Lopez isn't. And that's kind of the problem here. Because Brook Lopez isn't one of the team's best two players. And Ben Simmons and Embiid are the two supposed to be the two best players on the Sixers. And you can take Brooke Lopez off the court, and you can play Giannis as, as a small ball five, and you can put Pat Connaughton out there, or you can put, you know, uh, P.J. Tucker out there. You can put Brent Forbes out there. You can put other guys there in closing minutes, knowing that Brooke Lopez and Giannis, as the game comes to an end, probably both can't be on the court at the same time. And this is the ultimate dilemma for the Sixers, which is that will Ben Simmons ever be able to do what he has to do to make this relationship work? And I've been a Ben Simmons apologist for a long time, for a very long time. I've always been, and I was really, Jackie McMullen has the same kind of thought process about Ben Simmons as I do, which is that can Ben just do, you know, can we just appreciate Ben instead of fixating on, on all the stuff that he can't do, can we look at Ben Simmons and say, look at the incredible defense, look at the speed, look at the transition, look at the passing, look at when he's aggressive, how he can score. Can we just appreciate him? And I have, I've been that defender for so long and now I'm looking at it and I say, I can't, I can't keep defending this. I can't keep defending a player who is unwilling to do the work necessary to make his counterpart more successful Embiid has Embiid has to shoot threes Embiid has to have the mid-range because of Ben Simmons and also to to make himself a better player in the process but he has he had to do those things he had to become a 40% three-point shooter otherwise Ben Simmons is a complete liability and without having a ball handler who can create their own shot at the end of games, because as much as I love Embiid, Embiid turned the ball over in, the, in a crucial possession in game seven. That turnover, which led to a fast break, is was the nail in the coffin. It was the thing that ended that series between the Hawks and the Sixers. It was Embiid's turnover with two minutes. It was under just under two minutes left. Spun toward the basket, got his pocket picked, and then boom, easy two. And at that point, I think it became like an eight-point game, and there was no coming back from that. And the problem is, is yes, we can, on the surface, blame Embiid for that. But it's the context and the circumstances that he's in. He had to make a move. And Embiid has always turned the ball over. We got, frankly, we got kind of hoaxed by that incredible step-back three that he hit against Utah in what was, I think, the best game of the season in the NBA, in the regular season, was that Utah and Philly game. And Embiid hits this absurd step-back three where he shuffles back hits the fadeaway three to send it into overtime, the Sixers end up winning in overtime. The, the the That was fool's gold. That is not what we should expect at the end of games from Joel Embiid because for the rest of his career, what we've seen is the guy turns the ball over. And it's not his fault because he's being asked to do way too much. He's being asked to do way too much. And Embiid does deserve... Some criticism, right? He's not above criticism. Nobody on this team is. Doc Rivers isn't. Daryl Morey, well, Daryl Morey may not be. The only person I have a hard time criticizing is Seth Curry. Because Seth Curry put out, what, four 30-point games in this postseason? I mean, for a guy that they, they were praying to get rid of Josh Richardson, then you bring in someone like Seth Curry. I mean, they have to bring him back, no question. Because we've seen him be at his best when he has a guy he can do those dribble handoffs with like he did with J.J. Redick. And now he's doing it with Seth Curry, and it makes Seth better, and made JJ better, and it makes Embiid better, especially now that Embiid can you know do a little pick and roll, dribble handoff, and either he keeps it, they keep going with Seth, and now he's got like a, a good look at a mid range jumper, which Embiid is great at, or he can take it, roll, roll to the hoop, or you you know give it off to Seth and let Seth shoot. But again, all of this, and where the buck ultimately stops with the Sixers team. Is with ben simmons and i've had friends who've been like why do we expect so little out of him you know yes we can appreciate all this but why why can't he do more why can't we expect more out of a guy who was a number one overall pick and i really thought the sixers team was special this year and if danny green doesn't get hurt i i, I don't know if the sixers win the series obviously he won seven games if joel Embiid's fully healthy I think the Sixers probably do do a lot better. I mean, Embiid still had a bunch of great, you know, great nights. But so many of his points came from the foul line. And we also saw Embiid have a couple of clunkers. And it's because he didn't have his legs. He literally couldn't jump. He literally couldn't get up. And, yes, he had open looks. He had a chance to win one of the games at the last second. He had a wide open layup. Not wide open, but he got to a very makeable layup. And he missed it. Didn't even hit the rim. The Sixers are at a crossroads. And in you know, Simmons said yesterday came out that he's not playing in the Olympics for Australia because he wants to work on his game. And good. I hope he does. And if you're the Sixers, I don't know if you trade him in the offseason. Maybe you give him a chance. Maybe you give him a chance. Or you give him a chance to prove himself through the first half of the season. Let his stock go up again. Because right now, you can't. Like Ben Simmons isn't going to be the centerpiece of a trade for Damian Lillard. You know, he was the centerpiece of a trade for James Harden just six months ago. He's not going to be that anymore. It's literally impossible. There's no one out there who is going to, unless you are putting in everything, and I mean everything, you're not getting one of these top tier stars for Ben Simmons. Whereas you might have been able to hold on to a Tyrese Maxey in a trade for. Damian Lillard. You might have been able to hold on to Matisse-Thibel, but you're not going to be able to anymore. And so with Philly, we're 10 years into the process. Fans have waited. They've been so patient. You know how hard it is to get Philly fans to be patient? We waited so long for the Eagles to win a Super Bowl, and Philly fans were just angry the whole time seething but there was legitimate hope with the process it was yeah i know it sucks but man in a couple years getting a city like philly to buy into that mentality and now here we are a decade into it and really don't have anything to show for it can't even get to the eastern conference finals can't even beat the atlanta hawks And yes, since Nate McMillan took over, the Hawks are like a top six team record-wise. And I get that. I get this is no slander on the Hawks, but if you're the Sixers, you have to beat them. You can't lose to John Collins and Clint Capella. You have to find a way to win. When Kevin Herter drops 27 to beat you in a game seven in your building, in front of a full crowd, when they had Ryan Howard and Bernie Perrant and Brian Westbrook ringing the bell before the game, three iconic Philly sports legends, champions in this city. You cannot lose that game. But they're a fundamentally flawed team. And I've always believed that Simmons and Embiid can coexist and I think Ryan Rossillo said it best. The reason people have fought on that hill for so long is because they have an emotional investment in that take. And I do. I've been the biggest Ben Simmons fan since the day they drafted him. I've seen the upside. And I was watching a video that John Clark of NBC Sports tweeted out this week of Ben Simmons when he was playing in the Vegas Summer League just drop in deep twos, like like a, a, a step in. His jump shot looked great, shooting it with confidence. I think he had like 10 legit like deep twos. And no, he wasn't taking threes, but he had a legitimate mid-range. And something happened. Something happened with Fultz. Something happened with Simmons. I don't know. At this point, I don't know. People say... Ben doesn't put the time in, you know, don't believe what the Instagram pictures show. I mean, the dude obviously take care, takes care of his body, but is he putting in the work on the basketball side of it? I don't know. And so what does Philly do now? If I'm Daryl Morey, I'm putting a package together for the guy that we're going to talk about here uh, next. So I'm going to take a quick break. We're going to come back and we're going to talk about Damian Lillard. That's right. Dame time. Is it Dame time in Philly? Or maybe somebody else? We'll talk about it here in just a minute. All right, we're going to wrap up the show here. Uh, There was some news that came up about Damian Lillard not being thrilled about how this whole coaching situation has been handled in Portland. Uh, Essentially, what happened, um, started off where Portland looked like they were going to get Jason Kidd Jason Kidd backs out because he got offered the job to coach the Mavericks in Dallas. And he wanted to work with Luca. He's younger than Dame a little longer time. Jason Kidd won a title in Dallas. There's connections there. It made sense. So then Portland goes, all right, well, who else we're going to take? And they, they interviewed a bunch of different people, Becky Hammond being one of them, uh, who I think it's crime that she hasn't gotten a head coaching job. I, I think it's absolutely absurd. And maybe another one will come open. Um, I think it's I think it's absolute bullshit um, that she hasn't gotten a chance to, to be a head coach because I think she's going to be fantastic when her name is ultimately called. But Portland goes with Chauncey Billups, who universally loved. Uh, I've worked with people in the NBA world uh, who had spoken so highly of Chauncey Billups. Uh, I've heard a lot of guys who spent time with him when he was at ESPN talk about just the he has a gravity to him. You know, he's got a presence about him. When he walks into a room, you know, it's like, wow, like he's, he, he commands a room. Uh, I always liked Chauncey Billups, um, but there were, it, it got dug up that back in the, the late 90s, there was a, um, a civil sexual assault case. Um, never went through the, the criminal justice department, you know, never went through actual court. Um, but it, it was a civil case that was settled um, and agreed upon. And there was a lot of backlash from fans about that, especially in a city like Portland. And it seemed as though Dame was getting a lot of the heat for it because that they were making this decision for him or that he was the one that wanted to really, really wanted to, to have Chauncey Billups in there. But I don't know if he wanted Jason Kidd, who has, you know, baggage of his own in that kind of same department. Um, but either way it seemed a little odd that Damian Lillard was the one getting heat for this and reportedly he's not super happy and there's some weirdly worded things in the Chris Haynes piece about this we're talking about you know this could lead to a, a furthering of, separ- of separation between the way that Damian Lillard and the Portland Trailblazers looking at it blah 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 Honestly, I don't think Dane gets traded because Portland doesn't want to trade Damian Lillard. I I really don't think he wants out of there. I think he has a special connection with that city. He's been there his whole career. Uh, He's become a fixture in Portland. And I think if he could, he'd want to stay. But I also think there is growing frustration. You know, Portland made a ton of moves last offseason and none of them worked out. Uh, And they had a first round exit, you know, the furthest they've been, they did make it to a Western conference finals and they got smoked by golden state, which I mean, who hasn't, who, who didn't during that era. Right. But just for fun, I've put together a list of some of the most fun slash most likely potential destinations destinations for Damian Lillard uh, based off of how you could make contracts work uh, the teams, you know, realistically, it's all going to be about assets The contracts, the talent coming back and what Portland's looking at, you know, is, is, is Portland looking to win right now? Because if you're trading Damian Lillard, you're not, you're going into a rebuild and they have a new head coach. So maybe that's something that kind of goes into it. Whereas a lot of teams, you're going to bring in a head coach and we're going to try to win with him. He's going to be the guy that's going to help get us there. You know, it could go either way. So. I look at this from a perspective of some teams are the fun options and some teams are realistic options. Um, I think the the best fit for him. Well, I'll put it this way. I think the best situation, and this is going to sound like I'm being a Homer, but I just think for everybody, the best pairing would be him coming to Philly would be Philly finding a way to put, Ben Simmons, theibel maxi and four first round picks, you know, whatever it takes. And you, you put together a massive package, you send it to Portland and you bring in Portland and you'll have Damian Lillard. You'll have Joel Embiid playing off of each other. You have Seth Curry, who's played with him before, who can be a perfect off ball too. And Tobias Harris is in there. And then I don't know, cork moss. Maybe they might have to go out and find somebody else. Um, it would suck to lose the It would suck to lose maxi. And you would be basically betting that, you know, the rest of your, you know, your first round picks for, for the foreseeable future for, you know, a 31 year old star, but Damian Lillard is a superstar. Uh, Philly would love Damian Lillard. I think it makes sense as far as trade partners, because if you're Portland, you don't want to send him to the Lakers. You don't want to send him to golden state. And I, I don't think those teams would realistically go after him anyway, So my, I think that would be the most fun because that is exactly what Embiid needs. Embiid needs a guy who is going to get a bucket at the end of games, which is literally Damian Lillard's calling card is being the guy who hits the shot at the end of games. So I love Philly as a destination for Damian Lillard um, completely objectively, but also as a fan, I would be over the moon uh, as much as like I said, it would suck losing Fibel and Maxi because those are two young, really good players but Damian Lillard is one of the top 10 players in the league, the top eight players in the league. Uh, And you're going to pair him up with one of the other top 10, top eight players in the league. I mean, that would be electric Uh, and you're going to get at that point too, between Tobias and then Seth and then Dame, you're going to give Embiid the spacing that he needs. Uh, And and Embiid would be an absolute monster without having to worry about being the guy that closes out games. And and that right now is the biggest hurdle stopping this Sixers team. Uh, After that, I love this idea. Send them to New Orleans, make a trade for Brandon Ingram. And again, ton of first round draft picks. Uh, they have some assets still from the Lakers, Anthony Davis trade, not a whole lot, but you could still, you could put together, you can make the contracts work. Brandon Ingram's got a pretty high contract, so you, you could make it work. Uh, but again, putting Dame with Zion, right? Cause Zion can handle the ball himself, but it, you, you need a, a scoring guard with Zion. You need a guy who's going to be able to play with him, off of him, and you can still let Zion do his thing. Because what we saw from Zion this year was unreal. I mean, his ability to get to the rim. I mean, he's not throwing down these highlight dunks like we saw in college, which I think everyone was kind of secretly hoping was going to be the case when he went to the NBA, that he was still going to be just dunking on everybody. But instead, he's a really good ball handler. He's surprisingly agile for his size I'm worried about his long-term stuff he still I hate the way he runs he's still a big guy I see potential injuries coming down his line but you put him with Damian Lillard you're gonna get the best version out of both of them I wouldn't love the rest of the supporting cast around there you know um, especially if they end up keeping Lonzo I don't know how Lonzo would fit with Damian Lillard. I mean, Damian can shoot and do everything else. I mean, Lonzo has worked really hard to get a shot, but he's also a free agent. So my guess is Lonzo will probably end up going somewhere else. We'll see how that all ultimately kind of plays out, but I'm, I'm really curious. It's going to be, it's going to be interesting. um, If that works out, New Orleans needs help. New Orleans needs to do something. David Griffin, has, I mean, the stand Van Gundy hire was horrible. Um, I, I still have no idea what they were thinking with that. Um, and now they're looking for a new head coach. The Brandon Ingram Zion fit does not work. And the rest of their supporting cast, I mean, trading away Drew Holiday for for big but draft picks. Like in Eric Bledsoe. I mean, Eric Bledsoe has been awful. Absolutely terrible. Like, Drew Holiday with Zion would be great. If you had Drew Holiday, Brandon Ingram, Zion, they probably would have been a mid-playoff team, like or like a low, like an eight seed, maybe in the play-in tournament kind of playoff team. But if you still had Drew Holiday, you could have at least, you know, he would have been a free agent, but you could have at least made a trade, send Brandon Ingram, then you might have Drew Holiday, Damian Lillard, Zion. That would be a really competitive, fun team. Uh, I just want to see Zion get some help because he's too, he's too much fun to have his early part of his career wasted, especially when – I think a lot of the people are worried. I think a lot of people are worried about how Zion's going to end up aging. A um, couple of ones here that I think, I'm not sure if it would be realistic um, because of some of the assets. And well, at least for one team, the assets I think have diminished. For the other team, I don't know if they would actually want to move on from these guys, but Boston, Boston has the player. You, you send Jalen Brown. You send Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, a bunch of first round draft picks, send them to Portland, and you get Damian Lillard in return. And you have Damian Lillard, you have Jason Tatum. You might have to go out and find a, a cheap center, maybe bring back Tristan Thompson. Um, but that's going to give you two terrifying scores on the front end in Jason Tatum and Damian Lillard. I just don't think they're going to move on from Jalen Brown. I, I think they like having the two long wings. You know, they're kind of the younger version of Kawhi and Paul George, you know, the Jalen Green or um, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum pairing. I just don't see them moving on from that. Uh, And then the other team, which I think makes the most sense from a culture fit. But again, I don't know if they have the assets to do it is the Miami Heat. Uh, Dame would be the epitome of heat culture, right? And you're going to put him with Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo, I mean, with Spo as their coach, I mean, that team, who that would be scary. Because right now it's Kendrick Nunn, you know. And, and I like Tyler Hero, though he had a terrible second season. I like Duncan Robinson, who's a really, really good, you know, asset as far as the guy who can shoot threes. But he's also like 20, 25, 26. He's like way older than anybody realizes because he played, I think, almost four, at least four. He might have even done a grad year uh, in college. So – I don't know. <laughs> I keep saying, I don't know. I would love to see the Miami team. I would love to see him in Miami uh, as an objective ob- observer of the game, because you're talking about you would have an, an elite ball handler, uh, Jimmy Butler, who would no longer have to carry the load of playmaking uh, or shot creation. And then you have one of the young upstart center slash forwards and bam out of bio. So those are like the four that I think are actually somewhat realistic Uh, though I don't think Miami or Boston be able to get it done. I think Philly is a good chance. A lot of people want the Knicks. I don't think the Knicks have enough. The Knicks don't have a blue chip player. And on top of it, for the amount that they would have to give up to get Damian Lillard, the Knicks would not be a very good team. And, yes, they have a ton of cap space. So maybe between Julius Randle, who's going to get a new contract this summer, and Damian Lillard, you could find another guy to kind of bring in. I just don't see the Knicks working unless Damian Lillard really wants to go to the Knicks. Uh, I, I think Portland, you know, you get young pieces, you get Obi Toppin and RJ Barrett and you know, I get the, the corpse of Kevin Knox, you know, like, I don't know if, if the Knicks are a legitimate possibility, even though that's kind of where everybody wants to see him end up. I still think the best would be Philly. I think Philly would make the most sense. Um, and then these are just some like, Fun ones that I, I don't know, again, how they would make it work. But if they could, I would love to see it. Um, how about Denver? I don't think Portland would want to trade with Denver. I think there's actually a little bit of a small rivalry there. So I don't think it would happen. But you trade Jamal Murray. And you trade a bunch of picks. And, you know, maybe Michael Porter Jr., I think, I think it would try to want to hold on to Michael Porter Jr., but putting Dame with Jokic I think would be a ton of fun because in a lot of ways they're kind of opposite players, but it allows you to play in so many different ways because Jokic can play off of anybody. He's that diverse of a player. He, his tool set is so big that he can do basically anything he, he needs to do um, or anything you need him to do. And then you're going to have a guy at the end of games who can, can kind of play off of that. And on top of it, too, like I like Jamal Murray. But Jamal Murray is not like a traditional ball hander, handler. He's a, he's a scoring guard, you know, and so is Dame. But I think Dame overall would just, with the experience, with the clutchness at the end of games, you know, you know Dame would be showing up every time. And I think there would be a really fun kind of coexistence between Jokic and Dame. And, and this is a weird connection here. But I actually kind of think about the hypothetical we mentioned earlier about if Chris Paul had gotten to the Lakers and how he and Kobe would have played. Because a lot of people think that wouldn't have worked. But I think it kind of would have worked perfectly because I think Chris Paul understands basketball to such a high degree that he would have been able to play off of Kobe Bryant. He would have been able to get Kobe, in the, situ- get Kobe the ball in the situations he needed. I think if anything, it would have been a personality clash, which I don't think we would have had with Jokic and Dame. I think both of them would just have the understanding of, all right, this is how we're going to do it uh another really really fun one dallas uh, move on from chris stops. you play small ball lineups you have two legitimately great ball handlers the only downside here is you're taking the ball out of lucas hands to put it in dames and then out of dames hands to put it in lucas so there might be a little bit of redundancy there in terms of guys who want to have the ball in their hands but if we're seeing it work like we're seeing it work in brooklyn three guys who all love having the ball in their hands all the time. And yet they were still as dominant as they are. I think that would be a really terrifying matchup offensively where you have this, you know, point forward kind of guard in Luca and then a true number one point guard uh, in in Damian Lillard. And honestly, the guy who plays best with Luca has been Jalen Brunson, who is also a small kind of scoring point guard. So I I would love to kind of see if how that would work hypothetically. Again, there might be some redundancies in skill set, but Luca's much more of a passer who can also just pour it in from anywhere. But he's got that insane vision and feel, whereas Dame's the guy who's going to be able to close games. And and I think right now, if you're looking at who are the best closers, guys who have hit game-winning shots, I think the two of them have the most game-winning shots out of anybody in the league over the last three years. So I I would take – I would love to see that. Again, I don't think it's realistic because, again, I guess Porzingis would probably have to be in the deal to make the money work. Uh, It would be a weird, it would be a bit of a weird, you know, kind of trade to actually make work. But Damian Lillard in Dallas would be fun. And the last one I have here, and then we're going to wrap up the pod. The Memphis Grizzlies. Now, Damian Lillard is a guy who has always been comfortable playing in a small market. And I think putting him with Ja Morant you know, We just talked about redundancy in play style. This is a perfect marriage in play style. Your backcourt of Damian Lillard and John Morant. John Morant's not a shooter. John Morant is a cutter. He is a driver. He wants to get to the rim. He wants to yam on your head. And he's also a pretty good playmaker. Damian Lillard is just that stone-cold killer assassin. And I think one of the things that could really be beneficial for that Memphis Grizzlies team who is growing and is young would be getting a guy like Damian Lillard in there. If they could somehow hold on to, you know, Jaron Jackson jr. Somehow hold on to him in that trade, which I don't think they'd be able to do. Uh, but if they could, that's a fun little nucleus. Uh, I'm sure Dylan Brooks would have to be in the trade. There'd be other guys who would have to go, but just as in terms of back courts, like, Holy shit, that would be so much fun to watch. I think it would be incredible to watch John Morant and Damian Lillard play together. And, those last three, I don't really see happening, but they're just kind of fun hypotheticals. All in all, I do think the best spot for Damian, if his goal is to try to win, is in Philly. I, I, I genuinely do. I think bringing him to Philly, pairing him with Embiid, keeping Tobias Harris, who I know Tobias came up flat, but they're not going to need Tobias at the, at the end of games. They're just going to need him in the first three quarters. You going to need Embiid for the first three and a half quarters. That's all they're going to need from those guys. You're still going to have Seth. The defense is going to hurt a little bit, but not too much. And you know, you'll you'll find a fifth player wing. Maybe they bring back Danny Green, and he plays like a like a smaller three. You know, which is kind of he did that a decent amount this year anyway. Even though you know he's a six five guard, so I, I think he can kind of you know switch that way. But we'll see. We will see. Um, that's all I got today. Uh, fun pod. Really happy to be back again. I want to thank everybody for the patience and uh, allowing me to kind of take a week off. Um, But we're going to come back, stay after it, and uh, I will update all of you guys as, you know, life comes around. And hopefully we'll get Scotty and Vito, uh, one of the two, back on the pod this week. Um, And, yeah, we're going to keep this train rolling. Glad to be back. Happy to be back. Have a wonderful rest of your Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, whatever day you're listening. And we'll talk to you again here soon on Friday on The Red Take it easy, everybody.